Hi everybody, thank you so much for checking out our podcast. If you'd like to know more about us or connect with us, then please do go to our church website and we would love to get to know you some more. Here's today's message. We hope it blesses you, encourages and inspires you. Well, good morning everybody. And uh, whether you're in the church or online, welcome. And my name is Richard and I'm a member of the church here, and I'm going to speak to you. So, here we go. (laughs) And it's uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and if you'd like to find it, but it's on the screen. But if you can find it anyway, it might be useful later if you have a Bible or device or something clever like that. Okay, so 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 1. Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel, you are saved. If you hold firmly to the word I preached to you, otherwise you have believed in vain. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that he was buried, he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures, that he appeared to Cephas and then to the Twelve, and after that he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, although some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me also as to one abnormally born. For I am the least of the apostles, and do not even deserve to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. Whether them, it is I or they, this is what we preach, and this is what you have believed. Amen. Now, Lord, as we uh, look at your word today, we pray that you will come by your spirit and that you will teach us the things that we need to hear, that you remind us of the things we need to be reminded of, that you will enlighten our hearts and give us words to live by so that we can continue to follow you and stand firm in this very uncertain and changing world in which we live. Amen. Amen. Well, got some notes here, you see. Here we are. (laughs) Now, we live in a very changeable world, don't we? We've already heard about this in our prayers. And uh, I don't know about you, but I, I sometimes think, you know, what is the biggest threat facing our world and our planet and us today? Oh, Daniel said he thought I looked like Doctor Who, by the way. (laughs) 
Well, I, he said, are you speaking? I said, well, yeah, I'll speak, as long as I haven't gone to another planet somewhere or other. But sorry. <laughs> but, but the question is, the question is, what is the biggest thing, the biggest danger facing our world? Is it climate change? My brother has been at the COP26 do up in Glasgow. Is it the threat of global warming? Is it... Uh, the fact that we might have a nuclear war any time, it would appear. Is that a big threat that's going to destroy us all? Is it China? Is it Russia? Is it some sort of megalomaniac dictator? Is it an epidemic or a pandemic? I mean, what is it, you know, that we, we concerns us all? These are all significant things, aren't they? But as I think about this, I think to myself sometimes, you know, actually... None of those are the biggest threat. I mean, they're all threats, aren't they? They're all important, don't get me wrong. But perhaps the biggest threat facing particularly Western society, but other societies as well, is an underlying current of thinking which erodes our moral values and even erodes truth itself. And we end up with what you could call as truth decay. And we end up with people who are immoral. And some who appear to be completely amoral. And in a sense, this undergirds everything else. And, and for me, that is actually the biggest threat facing humanity in the world today. Because we live in what's called postmodernism, postmodern world where people say, and this started 50, 60 years ago, but it's current, you know, this is my belief, this is my truth, and that's your truth, and this is somebody else's truth, and they're all sort of okay, we can have them all, you know. It's a bit like uh, when you're baking a cake or something. You know, when we're baking cakes, I, when I, my, wife, my wife always follows the instructions. Well, I have a bit more of a charismatic approach to cookery. <laughs> And I just put in whatever I feel like. And, and so there's different ways of making a cake, you see. Maybe some are better than others. But <clears throat> we end up with something that you could eat. But, but, when, but it's not like that, actually. It's more like when I'm fixing my car. See, when I'm fixing my car, there is only one way of doing it, actually. You can't say, look, let's take off this alternator and put a starter motor in there. And then let's take off the steering wheel and, oh, I've got a flat tire, so I'll put the steering wheel on where the flat wheel is. It won't, it won't really work very well. There's only one real way of doing it. And when we come to truth about the world and truth about God and truth about everything that we live in, this is not just yours or mine. This is for everybody. This is objective truth. And Paul knew that because Paul was an intellectual of his day. Arguably one of the most intelligent people who's ever lived. About third or fourth, some people reckon. And he stood up in the Areopagus in Acts 17 and he argued the point. Because he was arguing about what is true and what isn't true. And what is important and what is right. And so here it is in this passage. It's all here in this passage. In fact, the passage is either true or it isn't true, you see. And and, and it's all here in the scriptures. I mean, if with the verses we haven't read, you know, in verse 12 onwards, 
um, in verse 13, if there's no resurrection of the dead, then, then Christ has not been raised. If Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless in our, and so is your faith. And we're found to be false witnesses. And, but actually he did rise. And, and, it, and he's basically saying it's either true or it isn't true. This either happened or it didn't happen. This is the claim. And if it's true, then it's true for you and it's true for me and it's actually true for everybody in the world. And therefore, when we come to this passage, he says to brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you. Samuel Johnson, who was a great writer in the 18th century, a bit before my time or your time, or maybe not quite, or some, most people's time, every all of our time. <laughs> and he said, people need to be reminded more often than they need to be taught. And actually, Plato said that, apparently. People need to be reminded more often than they need to be taught. More often than they need to be instructed, he actually said, because that was his language. And, and so Paul says, I want to remind you of the gospel that I preached to you, which you received and on which you take your stand. That's how important it is. We are standing on this. And, and uh, this is the gospel in verse 3. This is what I received and I passed it on to you as of first importance. So what he's saying is this is not something we've just made up. This is not just my opinion or your opinion. This is what I've received, and we know that he received it in a miraculous way, didn't he, when he was converted on the road, but also he was taught it by the, by the other apostles and by the scriptures. So this is what I've received. This is the truth, and it's, and it's of first importance See, that's a key thing, isn't it? There you are. This is of first importance. Everything else hinges on this. This is of first importance. And I've received it, and I'm going to pass it on to you, and I'm going to remind you of it, because by this gospel you are saved if you hold firmly to the word that I preached to you, otherwise you believed in vain. So keep going, hold on to it. It's of first importance. And here it is. Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. And he keeps referring to the scriptures in this passage, interestingly enough. And uh, here is the revealed truth. It's not made up. And uh, first of all, Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures and that he was buried. All of that's important. The fact that he's buried is part of the gospel because that proves he was really dead. Now, we know about the crucifixion a little bit. We've heard about it before. We know it is the cruelest form of execution ever devised by human beings. And we know how horrible it was. And we know that the Roman soldiers would normally break the legs of the people on the cross because um, if they weren't quite dead then they couldn't stand on their feet anymore and then they would hang and suffocate and basically die a bit quicker. But when they came to Jesus, they didn't break his legs because he was already dead. And then, proving that he was dead, they buried him. Interestingly, let's just have a quick look at this in Matthew 27. The death of Jesus. In Matthew 27 and verse 45... 
From noon until three in the afternoon, darkness came over the land. And about three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lemma sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And when, and, and, and he said that, by the way, because the sin had mysteriously somehow separated him from his father, the weight of sin. And when some of those standing there heard this, they said he's calling Elijah, and immediately one of them got a sponge and filled it with wine vinegar and put it on a staff and offered it to Jesus to drink. And the rest said, now leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes to save him. Now, when Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. At that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook, the rocks split, the tombs broke open, the bodies of many holy people who had died were raised to life, and they came out of the tombs after Jesus' resurrection and went into the holy city and appeared to many people. And when the centurion and those who were with him guarding Jesus saw the earthquake and all that happened, they were terrified, exclaimed, surely this was the Son of God. Now I've often wondered about that, those verses a bit. You know, the temple curtain was torn in two, the earth shook, the rocks split like an earthquake, the tombs broke open, bodies of many people who had died were raised to life, and they came out of the tombs. What is that happening here? Well, I'll tell you what's happening, I believe. This is the end of the world happening. These are apocalyptic signs in the scriptures, when you get these sort of things happening, it's always to do with the end of the world. And what's happening is that when Jesus dies on the cross, one aspect of the kingdom, namely judgment, is brought forward to his death on the cross. So as Jesus is dying, he is being judged for your sins and my sins. They are falling upon him. And we know that when Jesus went around preaching and speaking, he was talking about the kingdom of God coming. And sometimes he says the kingdom of God is here, and sometimes he says it's not quite here, and then he says it's coming. But here it's coming in a particular way, in the way of judgment. And that's why we have the dead raised and wandering around. And Jesus is judged for your sins and my sins. And that means that we do not need to be judged because Jesus has paid the price for what you've done wrong and what I've done wrong. And you and I can be forgiven and you and I can go free. Other people may still need to be judged at the end of the world when the judgment comes. But the judgment for you and me and for those who trust Jesus has been brought forward to Jesus dying on the cross. He died for our sins. He paid the price. It's a bit like when I had my little tiny car that cost me 350 pounds, and my son said, that's nice, I'll have that one. And so he had that one, and uh, it went really well for 300 pounds for years, until the clutch went, 
and then I gave it to my mechanic in London to fix it, and when he was fixing it, he left it in somebody's drive and got four parking tickets, which in London was quite a lot of money. I'll tell you, it was four sixes to 24, <laughs> 240 pounds it was. And then I had a big argument with him. He said, I'm not paying that. It wasn't right. They shouldn't give me those tickets. I said, it's my car. I've got to pay it. I'm liable. He said, well, we're going to just argue it. We're going to have a fight with the courts about it. Now, I'll tell you, it's not worth having an argument with the parking authorities in London. You will not win. <laughs> the rules are very strict. <laughs> and, and eventually, I just said, I'll pay it, because I didn't want to struggle. And, and somebody advised me, like, Dennis, or somebody wise in this congregation, said, just pay it. And, and so I just paid it and got it out of our system. But the issue was, it needed to be paid. You cannot get away with it. God's judgment is just and fair. It's like that. It's a poor analogy, but it's a sort of analogy. You cannot play around with God's judgment. He has to judge sin. Otherwise, the devil turns around and says, you're not being fair. And so sins need to be judged, and the punishment needs to be paid. But somebody else can pay the price. Somebody else, in my case it was me, paid the money. But in a much bigger way, Jesus has paid the price for your sins and my sins. And he has died on the cross. And it means that you can be forgiven. Now it may be that you never really heard this before. You know, I went to a sort of Christian school, and I never really heard this until I got to university. But this is the truth. This is of first importance. This is why you can come to Jesus. This is why you can be forgiven. And if you haven't ever done that, I would encourage you to come, just as you are, without a plea, but that your blood was shed for me, O Lamb of God, I come. You could come today. You could come to Jesus today. You don't have to be perfect. You need to come openly and honestly and say sorry and accept what Jesus has done for you. He's died on the cross. You can be forgiven. You can follow him, and we can follow him forever. And when I became a Christian at university, my friends paid for me, and they said, you know, you found a friend today. You found a friend who's going to be with you forever. I've gone a bit off the track. No, it's not on the track. Off, on the track, isn't it? This is of first importance, so it must be on the track. <laughs> this is on the track. Right, so I've gone off my notes. That's what it is. I knew I'd gone off somewhere. Right, so here we are. The price has been paid. Jesus has paid the price, and uh, he died. Here we are. Let's see in the scriptures here. He died for our sins according to the scriptures. He was buried. He raised on the third day according to the scriptures. Now, by the way, the third day in Jewish thinking, they include the first day and the last day, you see. So he died on the Friday, that's the first day. There was then the Sabbath, the Saturday, and then the resurrection day. That makes three days in their thinking. It's not exactly mathematical, but it is three days. And he appeared to Cephas, Peter, who he appeared to a couple of times. And then he appeared to the Twelve. And then he appeared more than, now this is important, 500 of the brothers and sisters all at the same time. So it wasn't just an illusion for one or two people. 500 people saw him in one go. Most of them are still alive. And though some have fallen asleep and died, that means. And then he appeared to James and to all the apostles. 
And last of all, he appeared to me also as one abnormally born, because that happened later, didn't it, on the road to Damascus. And, and, and Paul was miraculously converted. And, and that's the proof. That's the objective proof that Jesus not only died, but he rose again, and it's there for all to see, and all who care to read about it, and all who care to examine it. Like Frank Morrison thought he could disprove Christianity by disproving the resurrection, and he did all the research and came to believe that Jesus rose again, and so he became a Christian. So it's there. It's there. And as I said earlier, this is either true or isn't true. And we believe it is true, and we've experienced it to be true in our lives, and we have the objective proof, which is outside of our bodies. And so, in verse 12, we have um, a little bit more. Oh, well, that's, that's the bit we had earlier. This is what we preach, and this is what you believe. In verse 11... And, and here we are, sorry, in verse 10, I worked harder than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God that was within me. So because Paul received it and believed it, he worked to share the message. And then he says, it's not just me, it's God working in me. And, and we have both things are important, by the way. We need to work hard, but God will also be at work in us. And so we have a combination of grace and hard work there. Now, during these times that we live, which none of us expected, did we, a few years ago? And none of us guessed any of this would happen, apart from the fact that I did feel that God was telling me something was going to happen, but we didn't know exactly what. But COVID has affected many people. Many of our churches seem to have got smaller. A few have got bigger. Lots of people seem to have fallen away a bit from Christ and from the church. And it's been a tough time for many people. When I was a minister in London, we used to have people come to me and f say, you know, they're not coming to church anymore or falling away from Christ a bit. And I, and I used to say, well, what's changed? What has changed? Has the truth changed? Has the truth of what you believe or I believe changed? And the answer is, no, it hasn't changed. <laughs> Jesus Christ is still there. It hasn't changed. And so other things may change, but the truth does not change. So maybe you've changed. And, and that is the message that Paul is saying here. And he's saying, therefore, you need to stand firm. Stand firm in this truth. It is true for everybody. Stand firm in this truth, which is the foundation of our lives. Jesus said, it is the rock. If you hear and obey, this is the rock. It is not sand. Stand firm in that truth which will give you direction for your life as you build upon the rock. It is a truth that gives us direction. It is a truth that we can hold on to in a changing world. With COVID, with insecurity, with wars, with famines, whatever it is, it is a truth 
that remains. Stand firm in this truth, Paul says. It is a truth that does not change with time. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. It is an unchanging truth. It is a truth that can change the world. Who are these people in Acts 17, verse 6? Who are these people who have turned the world upside down? They said. It is a world-changing truth. It is a truth that was there in the beginning with God. In the beginning was God. In the beginning was the Word. The truth of God was there. That's where it all comes from, actually. In the beginning, it is a truth that is unchangingly coming from God, who is himself is unchanging. I am. The unchanging God, the I am of the Old Testament. I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the great I am. It is a truth that leads us back to God because Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Amen. Now let's pray together. Lord, we pray together today that you will help us to stand, to stand firm on this truth that is there in the scriptures for us. This truth that has changed so many of our lives. This truth that has formed the basis of our society in past generations, but from which we are rapidly departing. We pray that you will help us to stand firm in the truth that has the power to forgive our sins. The truth that has the power to give us a fresh start in our lives. The truth that has a power not only to forgive our sins, but to help us overcome sin so that we can follow you daily. It is a life-changing and world-changing truth that we believe. And we pray, Lord, that you will help us to stand firm and to be reminded daily of this wonderful truth that we have in Jesus. Amen.